Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and in this four-part series, we'll explore how the church can pursue true racial reconciliation. Now, race is a conversation that is often fraught with difficulty. Even where we recognize trends and what different communities believe, people are complex and have differing perspectives within those communities. Nevertheless, as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate source of truth, justice, and redemption. Working from that foundation, we're inviting trusted ministry leaders into conversation with us so that we can listen to and learn from them on this important subject. Some of the questions we explore are, how can believers pursue gospel-centered racial reconciliation, and what gets in the way of that pursuit? And what are the practical steps church leaders can take to address racial divides? While a podcast series can only begin to scratch the surface of this complex topic, we hope you'll find our series to be thought-provoking, encouraging, and informative. And now, on to this week's special guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Danae Pierre joins me today as we continue our conversation on racial reconciliation. Danae is the executive director of the Surge Network in Phoenix, Arizona, and serves on the North American leadership team for Redeemer City to City. A graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary, Danae has been involved in multi-ethnic church planting and community transformation for years and has recently been named co-director of the Crete Collective. Danae and I discuss the vital role of humility and compassion in reconciliation. Danae shares why our openness to God to heal us within must be as great as our willingness to reconcile externally. She also shares about the Latino church experience and some of the realities that are often overlooked by others. She has such an encouraging spirit. You will definitely want to pass this along to your leaders. So now, please join me in my conversation with Danae Pierre. Danae, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. It is so good to have you with us today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Now, Danae, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because you've been involved in a, a lot of ministry. You are engaged in a lot of, a lot of ministry right now. So um, a- including, you recently were named a co-director for the Crete Collective, which is very cool. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your background? And um, then talk to us a little bit about what led you to um, join the Crete Collective. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was yeah born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. So my mom's uh, family immigrated from Honduras, and uh, they settled eventually here in the Southwest. Um, and I grew up in the church um, in a kind of lot of different church contexts. And um, pretty young, wanted was uh, introduced to church planters that were working. Uh, in the Middle East, actually, at that point, um, and really was just drawn to the idea of church planting and um, doing work that helped start new churches and was intentional about reaching people who weren't comfortable inside the church. Um, so went through high school, early college, um, and uh, began just getting involved in different things and ended up helping uh, my the church I'm now part of get started. Um, which my husband at the at that time was the lead, was the, the plant church planter, but he was single. 
I was on the court team, part of all the early stages. Then I went to East Africa, um, came back to raise some money, and he asked me on a date. And I've never left Phoenix ever since. <laughs> so I'm now, I've been rooted here. Um, so yeah, we planted a multi-ethnic church 15, 16 years ago, uh, really in down the downtown part of our city with a heart to um, have community that was representative of, of the area we were in, which was very diverse. And that's been our journey these last 15 years. Um, I probably the last eight years have be, have because of the church plant, we had a lot of organic relationships um, with other pastors and churches. And Phoenix was beginning to have um, just like collaborative work happening between churches or something called Surge. And um, I stepped in as the executive director seven, eight years ago. I'd worked with the pastors previously through um, nonprofit work I'd been doing on um, foster care adoption, helping the church support birth parents whose kids were in the system. And so I had all those relationships, but then our church was part of Surge and uh, moved full-time into helping Surge um, have a healthy uh, pastor and church church planting network. Um, and so, uh, yeah, from there, I got connected to City to City, which was essentially a network of church networks, of city networks. Um, so I've been working with them the last three or four years, helping different, you know, cities like Phoenix um, seek to have holistic uh, movements of the gospel in their city, where we're planting churches and training pastors and really looking at lay leadership, uh, equipping lay leadership. Um, and along the way, I've just, you know, through all these different relationships, have been friends with um, yeah, the BD and John O and different, and just knowing what, what uh, a need there has been been for a long time to um, not just plant churches, but really an intentionality and a focus on particular neighborhoods, particular communities. Because of our work with Surge and with City to City, I had all these relationships of pastors and planters who were African-American and Latino planting in um, urban contexts that the metrics and the toolboxes they were receiving from national church planting organizations were really burdensome. And so we've been in these discussions for a long time and um, kind of shared shared vision and angst to say, what does it look like to really plant churches and support planters and send planters um, to these neighborhoods and rethink a lot of the expectations and norms and metrics and, and that. So um, yeah, so jumped in with helping create uh, as we were forming as an entity, and um, then this last month stepped in as a co-director, and I'm really excited about about that work. Awesome! That, that's that's so cool. So, um, so in all your free time, <laughs> um, you had the opportunity to actually write a, a book, um, and there's one book that I want to talk about that you wrote: "Healing Prayers and Meditations to Resist a Violent World." just a powerful title and, and we can uh, imagine you know what what you find when you open up uh the the pages of that book can you talk to us today a little bit about what what kind of led you to to you know kind of birth this book and and make this book available um what what led up to that and then kind of what what do you see is the purpose of of this book yeah, you know, um, I would say probably 2015 to 2018, 2019, there was just this growing tension um, that I think the whole nation has now tasted in 2020. But there was this growing tension, especially if you were in multi-ethnic space. Um, if you're part of the kind of local church and we're in an evangelical setting, 
the experience and lived reality of people of color, African-American, Latino, Asian-American, and then white evangelicals, which is so drastically different. And then we are working with all these pastors and leaders and really pressing in to what does it look like to name our idols, repent of them, and rethink and reform our Christian practices in a way that's that's participatory with the ministry of reconciliation. And we pull together different cultures, different people groups, and it was like the pacing, the questions, the answers were just night either so so different from each other. And so I think the tension that we were walking for several years and trying to seek to be bridge builders and peacemakers, um, but also prophetic, kind of naming the the brokenness in the church and pressing forward. Um, when 2020 hit, when the pandemic hit, it was immediately immediately noticeable the way well-resourced suburban middle upper class churches responded that first few months um, versus churches that were in really impoverished communities, both like who had the deaths in their churches, um, you know, the job losses right away, the impact um, as well as, you know, and then you had lots of people who were like, oh, wow, this is like a great time to be innovative and rethink ministry. And there's kind of some excitement even early on and just the, the different experience sent me into um, April, May, just in a really burdened place of just like, man, we, I mean, it seems like we've been collectively fighting as a church for many years now. Um, and you can just feel this, this, these strained relationships. Um, meanwhile, Ahmaud Aubrey was uh, murdered. And again, you know, we started back when Trayvon Martin uh, was killed. We started having these conversations with white evangelical, African, historic African-American denominations um, in our city, you know, Latino, bilingual churches. And we start having these conversations going back, I guess, I don't know, eight years ago. And, and when I think the timing of Ahmaud Aubrey, as well as COVID, it was just this like, like, man, this, there are no more words to try to ask brothers and sisters to listen and see and respond um, our pacing feels really slow. Our ability to confront these things or to repent of them, um, seems almost impossible. And I kind of went into this space of like, I just, all I know to do is to pray and to invite people to pray. And if we're going to invite people to pray, instead of writing about prayer or about lament, let me just write prayers and laments and invite people to join me in that. And so I wrote almost the, all the prayers in between, um, when, when Ahmaud, Ahmaud Aubrey's uh, story broke and then when George Floyd's story broke and even the last one I wrote was about George Floyd. I remember just like this total discouragement of I'm, I'm crying out to the Lord and here we go again. Like the same conversation we've had for years. It was going to be the same infighting and the same lack of awakening or awareness. And so, you know, it's, it's a bit amazing then to look back over the last you know, the, the months that followed and just realize and you know, just to see how, how God really did use that, that moment to awaken a, a multitude of people. Um, but to keep coming back to like, you know, our, as, as Christians, our heart should be to see the church be able to be the leaders in repentance and lament and practicing reconciliation. Um, and we're in this season where 
our divisions and our polarization, um, you know, have us con continuing to struggle to be faithful in those ways. Um, and so, you know, what's left except to intercede, to pray, and to get to work doing the things we're called to do, um, but really, but never with this sense of dismissal um, or judgment uh, towards uh, maybe some of what's really broken and, un and unhealthy, but like a continued hope that God would take off blinders, bring people to repentance, and that they would join at some point. And that's where I like, I, I, I find art and poetry and prayer to be a space that you can kind of hold a lot of those tensions together. Yeah, that's good. I think you're in good company because David the psalmist did exactly that same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's we read the psalms and there is so much lament and there is that tension. And and I, I think that that's beautiful. I think that's important. And that's something that, that we haven't, um, I think, given enough voice to, um, which is why I so appreciate your work in that area because it seems like oftentimes rather than than pulling back and pausing and actually going through the the lament and and kind of the searching and the listening and the the struggle of it instead we we tend to try to um, oftentimes insert our own thoughts our own opinions our own solutions or whatever it might be right, okay. right. Um, so Danae talk to us a little bit about this idea of of reconciliation and the the importance and this relates directly to um not only your work over the years but but to to this this book that you've you've um written and made available this idea of of as we engage in god's work as we engage in god's justice we need to experience god's healing for mm -hmm. ourselves and renewal within us deep mm -hmm. within us um, so, so speak to that, because I know that's an important part of what you have been trying to share and point people toward, mm -hmm. um, so that we're not just running off trying to, to, to solve all the world's problems, mm -hmm. and, you know, not getting in front, you know, ahead of God and not just getting caught up in our own ideas, our own opinions or, or whatever, but, but this idea of there's this inner work um, that sometimes we forget. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that when it comes to reconciliation? Yeah, I think, you know, when you think of reconciliation, it's, it's, there's a progression between enemies, you know, enemies that have hostility toward each other, and maybe the calling is enemy love. And then maybe on the full other end of the spectrum is reconcil reconciled relationships, right? And there's all these steps and all these things that God is doing in this journey of seeking to um, reconcile us to one another. And I think that on that journey, each there's different walls that keep us from moving toward reconciliation with one another. And often this, the ability to repent or to name sin is just one of those big barriers. And I think that in that there's a lot of um, shame and guilt and things that keep us from naming our sins. So one of the prayers that I, I have in the book talks about repentance and just this picture of you know, I think so often our, our understanding of repentance um, and sin is so distorted and we think of it through the, the shame, this shameful lens um, that because of Christ's redemption, we don't have to experience the same, the same type of shame. And so I use this metaphor of, you know, you, a lot of times we've had experiences as, as kids where you get in trouble, you've done something wrong, you're waiting all day in your room for dad to come home. 
he already knows what you did. You're going to get punished no matter what. You just got to like fess up because if you, that's just like part of the punishment process, right? You tell your dad what you did and then you're going to get this, this consequence as a result. And I think we tend to think of God like that. Like he already knows all this gross stuff in my heart and thoughts and mind. Um, I'm probably more, I'm I'm uncomfortable with it, let alone God. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to confess it, get it out there so I can get it, get the punishment over with. As opposed to a child hiding under the covers, afraid, um, fearful, ashamed of what they've done, and this loving father sitting on the side of the bed with a smile, just waiting for them to come out from hiding. And that to me is what confession is. It's like our sin keeps us in, you know, and keeps us um, looking internally or lacking in love towards others and the, and the shame. And it, it keeps us from actually seeing the the grace and love on our father's face. And because we can't see it, we kind of keep putting it out of our minds. We don't really want to think about it. We don't want to really believe that we could have the thoughts that we have or the motives that we have. And so we minimize and we minimize. And I think that when we're talking about reconciliation, unless we really understand and allow God to have this depth, have to have a depth of healing in our view of God our view of sin, confession, um, what depths God's mercy and love really have, and the purpose of uncovering. So even nationally, as we've seen a lot of collective sin exposed in the last year, um, it's because of God's love for us, right? It's like out of love, we are no longer able to hide certain things. The ugliness, the, the tumors, the cancers have been exposed. And, you know, we, I think we tend to like shrink away from those things as opposed to say, oh, wow, our loving father is, is said, no longer can you be sick in this way. I want you to see and look and notice because of, for the sake of healing. And that, that from that healed place, we're able to then move toward each other more vulnerably, move toward enemies, move toward um, people we have hostility towards, move towards people that we just have intense disagreements with, Right. But we have to, it has to kind of start from that place of real um, depth with God and an understanding of what his love does inwardly to heal us so that we can have the courage to externally engage with people the way he's called us to. Yeah, no, that, that, that's so helpful. And, and I want to um, dig in a little more deeply, Danae, because when you look across the landscape, and, and let's just talk even within the church, right, the evangelical church, we look across the landscape and and they're they're definitely you know we've experienced over over several years now but as as you mentioned through the pandemic and through um more kind of uh, racial tension and in events that have have taken place it seems like as you said this heightened awareness right and and things have have come to a point where more and more people are addressing this more and more people are are having conversations around the 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 division what what would you say Danae? Um, because I, I think it's important for us to process through this. Um, so what would you say to those who would say, the more we focus on the division, you know, the more that we raise these conversations up, um, it's, just, it's just inviting more division. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just, you know, move, move on? Why can't we just look ahead and just say, hey, let's just all, you know, get along and I'll make this work moving yeah. ahead? I tend to think of it, you know, if you're in a room um, and you're surrounded by a bunch of people and you've got 
diverse groups in that room talking about everyone who's locked outside of the room. And then there's a whole nother group of people locked outside of the city walls. And you have different people discussing how do we get them here into this place of safety and belonging um, and part of a beloved community. And there might be all kinds of divisions and disagreements in, in that room, but if the doors are locked and these people right outside the room and then right outside the city gates can't actually enter, you could not talk about it. You could decide on a solution. You could compromise, but nothing except actually beginning to take action to open those doors and figure out what needs to change is going to actually let people participate and belong who didn't previously. And so I think a lot of times when we say, hey, why do we have to, why do we have to focus on it? It's like, well, actually, the, the behaviors currently are excluding people and it's centering one group of people and one group of um, concerns over and above those on the margins or those who are suffering or those who've often been left out. And I mean, the book of James, let alone much of scripture, is very clear that we aren't, as Christians, able to do that. And so ignoring it doesn't actually heal it. It might make the room inside feel more peaceful, um, but it's not truly um, getting underneath and resolving uh, the problem, which is we're excluded, there's brokenness. Um, you know, I, I think another way of thinking about it is we talk a lot about like, unity, like, well, let's just have a unity about what we agree on. And it's like, well, that's that, that it's, if, if unity means unity around the things we care about and excluding the things that that whole other group of people are burdened by or crushed by, again, the prophetic books will tell us well, that's not unity. That's a faux unity. It's a unity built around you and your concerns at the expense of the rest of the body of Christ. And so, yeah, I think talking about it's really important, but I think our tone is too. And that was part of my book as well is realizing for us as a multi-ethnic church coming out of 2016, you know, noticing in myself, there's plenty of times I, I think, you know, I could still be wrong, but I think I was right <laughs> in what I was saying um, and in my positions and in my perspectives um, and I think I was like very passionately standing up for justice, but my tone and my posture did not honor Christ and my tone and my posture and my patience and my hopefulness about the future um, was not, it didn't smell like the aroma of Christ. And so I think there's also this reality and we can't just ignore it. We also don't just talk about it to, to talk about its sake. There's a way in which we posture towards one another. We, um, our tone, our our long suffering, our bearing with each other. Um, there's just certain practices that the scripture gives us that has to be part of our relational dynamic so that we can also move through it. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's important to note, Danae, because um, that reality is true for, for all of us, right? We, we have frustrations. Mm -hmm. um, and in the midst of those frustrations, we have to be able to communicate those frustrations in, in a healthy way that honors honors God in the midst of it. Um, and I think it's it's interesting because there are a lot of voices, competing voices in our world, right? And we know this. And we, we talk about this as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can talk about all the competing voices. And, and I think in, in issues of uh, justice and reconciliation, it's no different. There, there are lots of competing voices. And, and we need to... Um, to tune into the voice of Jesus in the midst mm -hmm. of those. 
And I think, um, I know for me and even my own experience, relational experiences with people that, that I care about deeply and I love and conversations we've been having over the last, you know, 18 months or so, um, I, I think it's a challenge because, and I, I invite you to help me kind of process through this because I'm just processing out loud yeah, right yeah. now, but, but I, I think it's, it's challenging because there can be a lot of this frustration a lot of this, like we've been, we've been trying to share this. We've been trying to, you know, for for years, um, and now there are some other voices, you know, like like why can't our brothers and sisters within the church hear what we're trying to say? Now there are other voices outside of the church who seem to be hearing much better than what we'd hope our brothers and sisters would be hearing, and so yeah. so there's this. Um, and, and I, I think that's a challenge in the midst of that frustration, right? And, and we can easily kind of just grab onto um, what, whatever voices and, and run with the, the momentum, right, of, of those voices. And, and I yeah. think that I know I've seen it just in, even in my own life in, in just over the last year processing through this. But again, with a lot of people that, that you know, love Jesus, have great hearts and just trying to discern in the midst of that so can you can you because because I, I so appreciate just your uh, candidness you know what I mean and, and your honesty is is how you've been processing through this yourself can you speak to us a little bit about how do we how do we navigate the, those frustrations those those com- competing voices and and really just kind of hone in and help move things yeah. um, in a healthy way in a kingdom way forward mm-hmm. right yeah, I think a couple of thoughts stand out. One would be, you know, well, the things that we're talking about, it's not just if you've experienced it, right? If you're a person of color, you've lived on the margins, or you have this this either generational trauma or like in your own personal life, it's not just disagreeing on a topic, right? And I think sometimes that's what's difficult when we bring people together who've who've not had those experiences or people who have is you haven't had those experiences it's just like what flavor ice cream do you like what sports team do you root for what political party are you part of it's just a it's just a disagreement and actually sometimes there's all kinds of people actually enjoy just arguing for arguing's sake right and so you've got that but then you have people sitting at the table who it's their lived experience it's their generational history it's their history um, it's, it's trauma and traumas and, and, and the traumas on both sides, right? Both those who have no sense of what's gone before them, um, and how blindness to their own part in the system impacts others. You know, Martin Luther King writes a lot about like that. There is trauma in that's keeping them blind. Right. And that's, that's part of the invitation to healing is being able to say, Oh, I'm choosing. I'm allowing these different things to to keep me blind, right? And um, on the other side, for those who've experienced the pain and suffering and the exhaustion, the burnout, when we come and we begin to have these conversations, and there's brokenness in the relationship, um, and it, and we're trying to move towards reconciliation. Well, reconciliation is a very intimate act. Right. If you've if you've had a breach in a relationship with with your spouse or with like a coworker or a teammate or a kid, like that's very painful. It's emotionally distressing. And then the healing of it, typically when you when you experience those those breakthroughs of reconciliation, um, usually it makes the relationship far more intimate and trustworthy. And I think we're trying to pursue something very intimate with with like all of our weapons still out. And, um, and so if you think about what's just happening in our, in our bodies and our minds and our hearts, 
it's like you said, it's competing voices externally, but it's also bringing up internal voices and memories and experiences. And we're hearing them in our mind, but we're feeling them in our bodies. And, and then we're trying to like, you're right. Yeah. So like the frustration isn't just frustration. It's like an overflow of the exhaustion of this heated conflict. And so you can't just move to like the intimate act of reconciliation in the midst of a severe fight. And it does seem like no one's listening, you know, like, like you're sharing, but they're not being heard. And there's more hurt with that. So I just kind of think in there, we have to have ways to help remind each other to be still and be still and know that I am God to let him lead us by still waters and restore our soul. And that as we're noticing the frustration, the hurt, the exhaustion, the judgment, the criticism, the cynicism, that even if we're justified in feeling that because of every, every, all the evidence points towards that we are being discarded or misheard, there's got got to be the stilling of our hearts and souls before God to kind of hear his voice. Yeah, not kind of to hear his voice and how he's narrating this situation. Um, And that allows us, I think, then to move into a place of compassion. So, you know, three or four years back um, was really wrestling with um, just a consistent challenge I was having with a group of our pastors and, um, and really just discouraged by it. And, and the Lord gave me this picture of like just the blindness of spiritual blindness in this particular area. And, um, and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah God, I know they're blind. <laughs> that's why I think that's, that's why I, they, they don't see what I see. And just this conviction from the spirit of like, no, like if you were surrounded by a group of blind men, what, what would you experience? What, what would you feel toward them? What would be your responsibility to, to walk with them? Um, how would your tone change? Um, and just like this invitation to be compassionate. It doesn't mean that we stay in that room forever or that we're, that we have to go at their pace because there's some of it is a choice to not repent and turn um, from what is causing the blindness, but the, but the sadness that, that they are standing right in front of a multitude of, of beauty that God is, you know, that, that God is unfolding around them. They can't see it. That's sad. And that's, and that's, that's, that's something to lament. And so just to be able to even, and I, I think, you know, the, the, the civil rights movement, you read the prayers of the black, the historic black church. That's something that stood out to me a lot in the fifties, sixties and the prayers is there's both like, asking the Lord to judge and act and vindicate. But there's also these like asides that are just like, wow, like, like let's just like lament, like to be an oppressor, um, to be, to be harming a God's image bearers. That's like, that's a serious deal. And, and there's something sad there that we can lament. And I think that helps us then move out of frustration and just like, um, you know, like, let's just like burn the house down <laughs> into a place of like, okay, like God's at work. We long for repentance. We're going to keep speaking boldly, but we're also going to do it compassionately because ultimately we either want rest, we want restoration. And if there's a hard heartedness, like, you know, Pharaoh's heart turns hard. That's a, there's big consequences for that. And that's very grieving. And let's, let's hold that sacredly because ultimately God is the judge, not us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's very helpful. Uh, Danae, what, um, Let's say you're talking to 
um, because we are right now pastors and church leaders. Let's say you're just sitting down uh, as you do, you know, meeting with with some other pastors, and you know they have a heart um, to pursue racial reconciliation within their communities. What what advice? You know, what practical practical steps would you would you share with them um, that maybe you've seen? you know, in other communities, uh, maybe you guys have experienced yourselves that um, are, are helpful and are actually moving things in, in a, you know, a kingdom direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say if you're on one hand, if you are majority white and have very little um, diversity in your congregation, um, the best way to move forward right now is to find a leather sister church as proximate to you as possible that is very diverse African-American or Latino, you know, that, that, that are leaders in your city on, on, on what this look, I'm like embodying it, not just teaching it and to tell your congregation, Hey, you know, we're not going to, we're not a multi-ethnic church. um, But, you know, we, we, we believe that God has saved all people and we want to actually come and learn from and sit at the feet. So don't even just don't be subtle about it. Be explicit. We want to learn from the sister church um, and, 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 and walk with them for a few years. And I think, I think that's an, if, if you already have the relationship established at a pastor level, cluing your people into, we need to follow, we need to listen. Um, we're going to listen as, as a church, we're going to be sensitive to these things. I think that's that's some of the posture that you can take. Um, if you don't have those relationships yet, then you just have to be really, really patient because these are this is not a season to develop those relationships over over the next year. Um, so, you know, start slowly attending, um, you know, the African American uh, meetings that are happening in your city, and just be there. No agenda, no rush. Just. Be- either uh and follow and listen and and over three or four years you might have some good relationships that surface that that allow you to enter into those spaces um and if you already have a multi-ethnic church i think i think this is a season to really press in and lean and look at how do you submit to the leadership of people of color and um, especially mature people that you respect and value their instincts are just different i've just i've never experienced it as starkly as I have in the last two years, the instincts are very different and where there's trust and a decade long, you know, relationship, um, defer, we don't have to, you know, we have to kind of begin to think about what it looks like to follow and not just lead. And so I think finding ways to do it personally as a pastor, but, but more so post 2020, the courage is going to come in cluing your congregation into why you're doing this the importance of it and really what, what we're trying to pass on to our kids and our grandkids in the terms of the church leadership, we're trying to pass on to them. We want it to look different than what has been continually passed down for the last century. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, and I, I love the, um, the idea of, you know, shared experience um, because oftentimes we, we feel, especially kind of the world in which we live, I mean, we can jump online and, and, you know, jump on YouTube and learn how to do anything, right? You know, you know, whether it's fixing our car or, or whatever, you know, so, so in our minds, we, we tend to think, well, we can just grab some information somewhere and, and that equates to, you know, wisdom. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but but what you're saying, I think, is so important. You know, this isn't just something that we Google and, and figure out. This is shared experience. This is a lot of listening, a lot of, you know, life, living life together and in mm -hmm. a posture of humility and, a, a, you know, a, an ear that wants to understand and a heart that wants to, you know, to grow and understand. So I think that's that's vital in, in the midst of this. Uh, Danae, just um, as we're kind of closing down, uh, just one more one more question here. Uh, we've invited guests uh, uh, throughout this series to share insights. We've uh, insights about the the Black experience, the Asian experience in the U.S. Um, but I, I was wondering if you could help us with um, some of the experiences from the Latino community in this country. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps share if you know if there are any. Um, misconceptions you think that that people generally have in regard to the Hispanic community um, or in relation to uh, Latino churches um, you know what 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 types of things can you share across the board that might might help us as we're trying to grow and learn in these areas yeah well you know one of the things I love about the Latino community is just how incredibly diverse it is and um, just both I mean, across the board, right? If you have a Spanish-speaking congregation, for example, you likely have, you know, five or 10 or 18 different nations and culture, and those are each very unique cultures, right? Um, and then we have the differences, you know, I'm in Phoenix between first-generation and fourth-generation immigrants, right? So, um, but the maybe the, 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 the context that I'm most connected to locally, um, which is a very, you know, it's a, it's a slice of the Latino church in the U.S. Um, that we've been talking a lot about lately has been specifically our um, immigrant churches that are Spanish-speaking or bilingual. And maybe that's one of the things I would just kind of, I think, is an easy place to start in evaluating our own um, biases and assumptions. Um, the amount of Latino pastors in the last year who, um, because of COVID, have been kicked out of their building space or their service time was moved to accommodate for the, the, the white church, um, the ways that church members in the English-speaking majority white Baptist church are speaking to and about the pastors, um, the Spanish-speaking or bilingual pastors. It just exposes a lot of assumptions around intelligence, education levels, um, who's doing the giving and who's doing the receiving. You know, the assumption is this immigrant church like is needy and independent on the, um, you know, this majority culture church. And there's so much opportunity for true gospel collaboration. Um, and the, and the English speaking kind of a very Americanized church needs the gifts of um, these immigrant churches and both, both the prayers and the leadership and the insight um, and a lot of times there are two, there's two different worlds in, in buildings. Like most of our cities have hundreds of Spanish speaking churches and they're in the same buildings as our English speaking churches and the behavior practice, the practice, how we treat a lot of times in my experience, um, our Spanish speaking pastors and congregations, we would never treat a church across the street from our own culture that way. Um, I think we'd actually be really embarrassed if some of the conversations we have in, you know, in board meetings um, were publicly exposed. And so I just think there's this like, because of the lower socioeconomic status, because of the language barrier, because of the lack of 
ownership of property and how we tend to think about who then has decision-making power and whose priorities matter. Again, those are, we, we put all those into very American categories when the kingdom of God and scripture asks for a radically different, different approach. So that would be one. And then I think, you know, again, like for us, as a multi-ethnic church, we've had to lead very intentionally, um, you know, the, the, our, in our context, our Latino church members and community didn't, doesn't have, um, you know, didn't just naturally five years ago embrace uh, conversations around black, black lives matter and race and what, what, how do we think through this? Um, But it was for very different reasons than our white church members um, who are coming maybe from a very politically conservative background. And so just to be patient, not lump everyone into a group, but to educate people based on their context and their experience and um, where they're coming from, um, taking time to get to know those things. Because again, and that's probably what I've been really encouraged by this last year is there seems to be a lot more solidarity among Latino, Asian, and African-American leaders. Um, I, have, I haven't seen that thus far in my experience, my leadership experience. So it gives me hope that that we're beginning to come together in really important ways. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I've witnessed that myself in, in lots of conversations and different meetings. So uh, super powerful. Man, Danae, it's been so good to have you with us. Um, as we're closing down, can you uh, let our listeners know if they want to kind of connect with you, maybe on social media or learn more about the ministries in which you're involved in, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Yeah, well, my website uh, to get the book is restorativeleaders.com. Um, or if you can, if you can spell my name, <laughs> you can find me pretty easily on any social media. I, I, there's not many Danae Pierre's out there. Excellent. Excellent. And we'll have links in the show notes for our listeners, um, to, to, uh, not only the, the ministries that you're involved in, um, but also to, to social media so they can spell your name right. And also to restorativeleaders.com. So again, thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. Certainly appreciate all that you're doing and look forward to um, continuing to follow along as as you and, and the ministries you're involved in, as the Creek Collective and, and others are, are continuing to champion um, just kingdom work, which we absolutely love. So thank you for being with us. Thanks, great to be with you guys. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.